Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. My name is Kevin, and I am the lead pastor, and I want to welcome you as we have folks in our Peru campus, our Morris campus, as well as our online campus. I'm excited to share with you. We continue in our beginnings series, and this week I'm talking to you about the story of Joseph, as you probably figured out as you watched the video. This is a tremendous story um, that I think if you'll hang with me as I tell you the story, uh, this is going to apply to your life, and I am praying that God uses it. In fact, uh, here's what I want us to think about, because This is an important concept no matter what story I share. And as we work through the Bible, here's how I want you to see things. There's two stories that unfold in every story from the Bible. The first one is called the lower story. And the second one is called the upper story. The lower story is the one being written um, about us, about humans from the human perspective. In fact, what I would say is a limited perspective. The second story, the upper story, is one being written and told from above. It's God's perspective and and how he sees this place where we live. In fact, in the lower story, we're dealing with things in the here and now, like paying bills and dealing with conflict and Cubs Cardinals fiascos, right? Last weekend was bad. And I'll just admit it. Um, Finding a job or getting cut off on the road or what you might say when you get cut off on the road. Those are the things that we find in the lower story. In the upper story, though, we're talking about the things that God is up to even when our perspective is limited and we can't see it. So as we work through these stories, I want you to keep your eye on both. And I'm going to refer to both this lower story and the upper story. Before I go any further, though, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the stories in which you've given us. And I'm thankful that you continue to weave your story into ours. I pray that as I share with our folks in Morris and Peru and online, that God, um, you would speak to them no matter where they sit, no matter where they're taking this in, that you would speak to them in a powerful way and they would know that you know exactly where they're located. Help me today, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So big picture too, just a little reminder, right? I think what you're gonna notice in all these stories is that God is continually, continually pursuing his people. In fact, it, it, as you read through these stories, as you hear me talk about them, I think what you're gonna see is that folks are always um, the people on this lower level, are always struggling and always kind of wandering from God, and God is constantly pursuing them. So let's, let's dive in. What we find here when we get started is you have Joseph. He's 17 years old. Um, just to give you a, a little backstory, he's the grandson of Isaac that we talked about last week, and he's the great-grandson of Abraham, who everything centered on last week. And so we're just continuing to progress. Now, I'll also say this, this lower story that we're talking about, what humans are doing in this story is messed up. Last week was messed up, and this week is messed up. In fact, this story could be a reality show. Um, think, think um, I don't know, what comes to mind for me is Jerry Springer, 
right? Think dysfunctional families, because Joseph was right smack dab in the middle of some serious dysfunction. He was um, one of 12 brothers, and here's how the story kind of goes, that uh, he was the favorite. In fact, many of you might know this about the story that Joseph had this multicolored coat that his dad had given him, which really even distinguished him as dad's favorite. That, that didn't go over well with the brothers. To make matters worse, um, God gave Joseph this dream. And Joseph said, man, I've got a dream that came from God. And uh, in his innocence, he shared that dream with his brothers, which was also a terrible idea. In fact, um, this dream, really at the end of it, what he, he said is, hey, at the end of my dream, brothers, you guys are bowing down to me. Um, yeah, bad, bad recipe. And then you put all this together. One day, Jacob, the dad, sent Joseph out to the field to fetch his brothers as they were tending to the sheep. They saw him coming. Uh, they roughed him up a little bit, and then they threw him in a pit. Some folks came by, um, some travelers came by, and they got this wild idea, you know, over their lunch break, that they should sell him. So they sell him as a slave, and then they make up this crazy story, dip the coat in blood. He was, you know, hey, Dad, he was eaten by a wild animal. Like, you can picture this whole thing. And, and then once in Egypt, I'm going to just keep rolling through here. Once in Egypt, what we pick up is that Joseph is sold In fact, he's sold to the captain of the guard to serve in the house of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was was very powerful, who served under Pharaoh, right? And so um, think about it this way. Genesis 39.2 says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, doesn't it sound weird to you that what we're talking about is Joseph prospering? You know, here's Joseph, who his brothers turned on him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and now he's, he's working in the house of Potiphar, and yet he, he prospered? But, but here's the picture, that even though God allowed his brothers to abuse him and to sell him, that God is now prospering him. In fact, Here's what we see. With God in charge, Joseph quickly rises and is put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Now, here's where the next twist in the story happens. In fact, a bomb is dropped. Here's what it says about Joseph. That Joseph is a handsome man, well-built, right? Um, Handsome man, well-built. So you kind of picture that. Whatever you think a handsome man, well-built looks like, and, and then here's how the story goes, that Potiphar's wife, probably the one thing that he was not supposed to be in charge of is what scripture says, because that wife didn't belong to him, belonged to Potiphar, that she begins to make advances on Joseph, and Joseph does the right thing, is what the story says, that he continues to deny her. But then what happens is one day she's chasing him around the house. Can you picture this? You know, like Rachel chases me around the house. I'm just joking, just kidding. But can you picture this, right? That she's chasing him around that house and, and he's trying to run from her and she grabs his cloak and, and like rips it off of him, right? And then he goes running out. So I, probably out of her own anger and frustration, she turns the story and says, hey, he came in my room. In fact, the scripture I read says he tries to make sport of me 
and here's the cloak to tell the story. Like he ended up, you know, hearing Potiphar, he heard, you know, you were in the house and he took off, right? And, and so now Potiphar is angry. In fact, what it says is that Potiphar took Joseph and he threw him in prison. Now, here's, uh, same story, right? Here's what's happening again. Listen to Genesis chapter 39. In fact, verses 20 through 23. Pretty cool part of this story. Here's what it says. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. See that word again? Granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible, responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So two times we have this, right? That things aren't going well for Joseph. He's, he's thrown in a pit and then he's sold in a slaver and he's ser- serving in Potiphar's house. And, and here's what we discovered. God granted him favor and, and he has put over everything in Potiphar's house. Then, you know, it goes bad again. Second twist in the story, poor Joseph, right? That... He's accused of something he didn't do. He's thrown in prison. And then we read it again, that even in prison, God continues to grant him favor. In fact, it says he gave him success in whatever he did. Now, the question I asked, I want to step out of the story for a second. The question I asked when I was studying this, this this week, um, Monday night, um, I was reading and I was studying this story. And, and here's what came to mind for me. What does it look like? What does it mean to be in favor with God? Think about that for a second. What does it mean to be in favor with God? And I began to, to look up that and study that a little bit. And here was a quote that I saw. The definition of the word favor is best described as demonstrated delight. To have the Lord's favor means that the Lord is in accord with an individual and has shown gracious kindness towards them. When we think of someone who has the favor of God, we think of someone in whose life we see tangible evidence of God's approval. Um, here's, here's what I want you thinking about. When we think about being a part of God's family— when we think about being adopted as his children, that God pursues us, that he created us and he pursues us and he desires a relationship with us. Here's what I would say. God isn't picking favorites. In fact, he he really wants to, and he is showing favor to all of us. God isn't picking favorites, but he is showing favor to all of us. I was reminded um, as I was, I was thinking about this story and I was thinking about how it connected to my own life. And when I was growing up, uh, I was the baby in my family. Um, I came from a family of five. I had an older brother who was 10 years older than me. And then I had an older sister who was almost eight years older than me. And, um, and I remember, right, that my older brother picked on me a lot. And I remember arguing with my sister over the TV over and over and over. And here's what they remember. What they remember 
is that I came along way later in life. And the story they tell is that I got everything I wanted and that I was spoiled rotten. Now, I, I mean, I don't picture it that way. In, in fact, I mean, I just, I think they got it all wrong. I, I don't think I had any special favor. I, I couldn't help it that I was a better kid than they were. If my sister watches this, um, I'm going to get it. I, I, I couldn't help it, right? Now, here's what I would say, too. When I watched my, especially my brother, my, my sister, she didn't get in a lot of trouble. But my brother, when I watched him grow up, I learned quickly. Like, I learned I didn't want to do the things he did. And I didn't want the consequences that he was getting. Now, here's what Proverbs 8.35 says. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. And here's what John 1.12 says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's what I would say. I think as children of God, as, as people that God is seeking out relationship and he's pursuing us, that when we say yes, every one of his children is spoiled rotten. Every one of us is, when I think about being a part of God's family, it's not that one of us was given more favor. It's not that some of us like, oh, God just, mm, like, you know, everything he does, like God just seems to bless it. I believe this, that God spoils every one of his children. When you think about what God did for us while we were still sinners, we did not deserve it. We didn't deserve his grace and we didn't deserve his mercy and we didn't deserve him sending his son to die for us that we could have eternal life and have this incredible relationship with him while we're living, yet we get it. That's exactly what we get and it is a beautiful thing. So how do we get the favor of God? How do we make sure we have it? You know, I I was thinking about this and doing just a little bit of looking through the Bible, combing through the Bible. I think it starts with just pursuing God, that we would have interest in knowing more about God and interest in saying, God, I want to investigate you. I I, want to know you. Here's what Psalm 119 says. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I've considered my ways and I've turned my steps to your statutes. You know, it reminds me when it, um, what does it look like to, to pursue God? You know, in fact, here's what I'd say. Let's flip it. Let's flip it the other way. I don't know if you've figured it out yet, but God is continually pursuing you. Um, he is always pursuing you. In fact, it reminds me of, there's this little girl that comes to Crossbridge and her name is Olivia. And, uh, and I so bad, like I, I love little kids and I, I love to go up to them and I love to play with them. But here's what I've done with Olivia. When, when I first started getting to know her, I came on too strong and, and I scared her and she was a little like set back by me. And I'll tell you, I've never been able to make it up. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And every time I approach her, she'll either like step behind her dad's back. Her dad's name is Josh. She'll step behind his back or she'll, she'll look at me like stay away from me. And, and inside I'm like, oh, I just want this girl to like, I want her to know me and I want her to like come closer, right? And, and so she knows. I mean, I pursue her, but it's pretty obvious she is not, she is not saying yes to me. I think that's oftentimes what our relationship with God looks like, that God is coming around every corner saying, hey, like I want a relationship with you. And so often we're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. 
And here's where I think favor starts. Favor of God starts when we begin to say, God, I see you coming and I want to open my heart to you. I want to investigate you. I want to know you more. Now, if we look at Psalm 119 and the, the second part of that, right, 58 and 59, I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I've considered my ways and I've turned my steps to your statutes. Keep turning towards him. That's, what, that's the other way that we stay in favor. That when we don't just march our own direction, but when we commit to be a follower of Jesus, that we continue to turn towards him and his ways. That we're interested in obedience. And then the final thing I would say about finding favor, it's about humility and it's about a contrite heart. Now you may say contrite. I did the very same thing, but I saw this verse this week and here's what it said. Isaiah 66 says, has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. You hear that? These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Now, the Hebrew and Greek words for contrite, it actually means crushed, crippled, or broken. It's this idea that our spirits would be crushed. And typically we would think of that in a negative kind of way. But that our spirit would be crushed, our spirit would be broken. It was defined like this when I was reading about it, at the weight of our guiltiness in regards to sin. That when we know we've disappointed God, when we know that like he is pursuing us and, or he's asking us to follow and yet we're struggling to do so, that there would be times where we would self-evaluate, that we would self-examine and it would break our hearts when we recognize that we're falling short. That's another way in which we stay in favor with God when our heart stays soft and broken before him. I was... Um, uh, I hope my in-laws don't watch this either. This is a bad week for family to watch watch the sermon. My in-laws dropped off their two dogs about uh, about a week ago. Um, they went on like a 16-day trip, and we got the privilege of house-sitting, like babysitting their dogs. And their dogs are like little humans for them, and um, their dogs are spoiled rotten. And And so they drop off these dogs, and now I've got three dogs in my house. And the truth is, I've been kind of sweating this out a little bit because um, I'm good with my dog, but I thought three dogs in the house, what is that going to be like? And so <laughs> Rachel's dad um, comes in with these dogs. He brings them. And the moment he brings them in, I have a little girl dog and he has two boy dogs, Cody and Felix. And they come walking in and um, these dogs are, you know, their tails are wagging and they're all over the place. And I'm just I'm just like trying to kind of corral them. The next thing I know, Cody goes over towards the couch um, and he lifts his leg. And, and when I say lift his leg, I mean lifts his leg and he marks the carpet in front of the couch. Instantly, I was like, no, right? I, oh, I hate that when like, mm. and I thought there are gonna be 16 days of markings, you know? And, and so here was the deal though, like, Grandpa John, Rachel's dad, he, you know, he walked in right when this was going on. And so I was trying to act like I was okay. And internally, whew, I was ready to beat the dog, if I'm honest. And, um, and I was thinking, no, right? In fact, I said it. I said, Cody, no. And, and here's when I knew I was in trouble. I, I looked at Cody and I yelled at him. I said, no. I mean, and, and not, a, not as firm as I wanted to because John was there. 
but I did. And he looked at me and wagged his tail. Instantly, I thought, he doesn't, he doesn't know this is bad. In fact, see, with my dog, when I yell at her, if she does something bad in the house, and I yell at her, tail goes between the legs, head goes down, she knows. She knows it is wrong. And so, you know, I instantly, I, I, I picked him up and I whispered in his ear and I said, when John leaves, you're going to get a beating. Now, I really didn't beat the dog, but I'm telling you, that's what God wants from us. What God wants from us is to be like my dog, that when we recognize that something goes wrong, when we recognize that we're in the wrong, when we recognize that God is going, uh-uh, uh-uh, that is not the best for you, that, that we would soften our hearts, that we would show that we were brokenhearted, that we've been crushed, and, and we would turn towards him in the midst of that. That's the way he wants us to live. As we move on in this story, one of the things God did was give a Joseph the ability to dream dreams. In fact, the story says that he's about two years in prison, okay? He's two years in prison, and Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, has this dream, and he can't interpret it. And uh, he doesn't know what's going on. So what does he do? He calls for Joseph. In fact, um, he basically, uh, and, and Joseph basically tells Pharaoh, hey, tell me your dream, and and Pharaoh does, and here's what he says. He says, here's, what, here's what's going to happen in your dream. There's going to be seven years of great crops. You're going to have seven years of like food everywhere, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, no food at all. Now, here was the interesting thing. You know, no other people group or nation um, knew what was coming. In fact, Potiphar was like, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh was like, he knew. He knew Joseph was like on it. And at the end of the first seven, sure enough, right, those first seven years, there's food everywhere. The crops have been like bumper crops. It's been incredible. And then the seven years of famine began. But, but here's what was really cool. Because Pharaoh knew, like, that Joseph knew what he was saying about this dream, he put him in charge of everything. And as he put him in charge of everything for that first seven years, Joseph saved up enough food for, like, the next seven years. And so... There was so much food prepared under Joseph's leadership that it was exactly what allowed these people to survive. In fact, now, fast forward again. This famine, is, it's affecting everyone. In fact, it's affecting um, Jacob, which is Joseph's dad, and all these other brothers back in Egypt because they don't have enough food and they're gonna die. So what does is, what is, uh, dad do? He sends them, right? He sends them to Egypt to go try to get some food. And what happens? They come right into contact with Joseph. Now, here's kind of the cool thing. They don't recognize him, but what do they do? They bow down to him. Listen to this part. They bow down to him. Basically, they know that here, they're coming up to the man who is in power, who has food that they need, so they bow down. This is exactly 22 years ago. Joseph had this dream and he told his brothers what was going to happen. It's exactly what put him in the pit. It's exactly what sold him into slavery. And now it's just happened. Joseph at this point is about 39 years old. In fact, here's what Genesis 45 says. This is a really cool part of the story and I want you to catch it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking when they figured out this was the brother that they sold into slavery? 
Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, right? Like you, you picture, like if you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd think he was gonna slap them or something, right? And, and when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. I bet he had waited 22 years to see their face. And now, here's what he says, though. This is the coolest part of the story. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Listen to this line. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Here's the application. Big picture. This is where I'm going to wrap it up for you. What Joseph's brothers did to him in this lower story was unjust, was wrong, was just, oh, it was awful for Joseph. It had lifelong consequences of pain, right? For, for all of them, it was a mess, 22 years of it. But somewhere along the way, Joseph understood God's upper story in spite of a difficult lower story. And here's what I think. I think the fact that God, that Joseph, it became clear that God was showing him favor. It became clear that God was using him in this bigger story. And it's exactly what caused him after 22 years to look his brothers in the face and say, you do not have to fear. You didn't put me here. God did. See, the moment Joseph says that, here's what we know. Joseph was not in bondage. Joseph was not struggling with hatred. Joseph was not struggling with his unforgiveness. Joseph was not struggling with bitterness. That Joseph had recognized that this wasn't even really about this, this, this lower level living. It was about God and this upper level, and that God was telling his story and revealing his story even through the hardships of Joseph. And, and get this, favor doesn't mean the absence of struggle. Second Corinthians says, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. See, for 22 years of struggle, it molded Joseph. It shaped his heart. In fact, Joseph went on to be 110 years old. So here's also what we know. For 22 years, it was bad. But for 71, I got a feeling it was really, really good. When Joseph recognized that God used him to save Israel and to move God's upper story plan forward, I can't imagine. In fact, there was a quote that says this. It's by Randy Frazee. Joseph caught a glimpse of God's upper story. Joseph said to his brother, and I paraphrase, what you did to me in the lower story was evil, but God used it to accomplish his good upper story plan. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You know, I don't know what kind of dysfunction you come out of. I don't know what kind of bad hand you have been dealt. I don't know, I don't know what kind of mess you find in the midst of your lower story, but here's, I think, the invitation. The invitation is that you would say, God, I wanna welcome you into my life. 
I want to say yes to your pursuit of me so that, God, you may lift my head, that you may lift my head beyond this lower story, and that you may help me to see your shaping and molding, to see what you're doing in me and through me. God, how your upper story is breaking in to my lower mess of a story. And I'm confident of this, that when we see his hand at work, when we see his hand reaching down in the midst of our mess, it changes everything. No matter where you find yourself, the story isn't finished. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you and your story, your upper story continues to change our lower stories. Give us your perspective. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge Podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.